0: to the New Health Club podcast. The New Health Club podcast is where the conversation around the new age of mental wellness begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this since we are talking about a new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin, MDMA or ketamine are exactly doing for our mental health and personal progress? On the New Health Club podcast, I talk to patients who have experienced the psychedelic treatment I talk to innovators, thought leaders, and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics and mental wellness. Please enjoy the podcast. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. This episode of the New Health Club podcast is part of our special Heal Soul series, which is sponsored by Dr. Bronner's, the activist soap company from California. Dr. Bronner's is a family-owned company founded in 1948 that is dedicated to honoring the vision of its founder, Emmanuel Bronner, by making personal care products of the highest quality and by dedicating profits to promote a better world for all. The Brauner family started making soap in 1858 here in Germany and carries on the family soap making tradition today by using the company as an engine for progressive social change. I got to know Dr. Bronner's when I lived in Los Angeles and when I went shopping at Trader Joe's, I made sure to pick up some of the delicious peppermint soap that all of us were using it was just such a California thing, which I loved, but there is more to it. Dr. Branas dedicates profits to organizations working in support of regenerative organic agriculture, animal rights, community betterment, criminal justice reform, fair pay and fair trade, and drug policy reform, which includes the responsible and equitable integration of psychedelic medicine into American and global culture. For more information on Dr. Bronner's in Germany, please visit drbronner.de. For more information on Dr. Bronner's globally and in the United States, please visit drbronner.com. And please check out the February 27th episode of the New Health Club podcast to hear my interview with their CEO and world-renowned psychedelic therapy activist, David Bronner, as we discuss how psychedelics might heal Holocaust trauma. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. We are very proud to announce our first guest for the Heal Soul series. He's called Michael Pollan, an American author, journalist, activist, and professor of journalism at the UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. He wrote the book How to Change Your Mind, which is a brilliant modern resource for the psychedelic renaissance, and I'm sure many of you have read it who are interested in the topic so, please welcome Mr. Michael Pollan. So, and I think we, we just jump right in into the questions. Okay, um, sounds good. Okay, so what, what made you do this to immerse yourself in that journey of just really doing these kind of psychedelic experiences or just treatments
1: you know i i got started very late with psychedelics i did not use them when i was in the uh when i was in my 20s or in college or anything like that i was afraid of them, and um i just didn't think i was a sturdy enough person mm-hmm. but when i started learning about the use of psychedelics to help the dying specifically people who had cancer diagnoses and were paralyzed by their fear and depression and then i began talking to these people for an article i was writing i was amazed at the the transformations i was witnessing that people even in their 50s and 60s and even in their 70s could have an experience that that actually uh reset their understanding of themselves and the world and death and so i became very curious um You know, as we get to that age, we we can get kind of stuck in our ways. We have Mm -hmm. these very um, deep grooves of habit. And I could see these people acquiring new perspectives, new flexibility, uh, greater openness and personality. And that that came to seem very attractive. And, uh, you know, I ultimately decided that I think psychedelics may be wasted on the young and that they might be even more useful uh, later in life. Hey, well, I was not having a midlife crisis. I didn't think there was anything particularly broken in my life, but I realized that I was a little stuck mm-hmm. and that, it, that there was a, I, I became attracted to the idea of, of change and, um, and acquiring new perspectives and greater openness. So, you know, I think it's always important to change at different stages in life. I've had every 10 years or so, I've had some sort of big change in my life, whether that meant moving I moved mm-hmm. from the East Coast to the West Coast or beginning teaching or switching from editing to writing as a profession. And uh, this is the change that I found as I approached 60 uh, was take a take a fresh look at my life, uh, explore areas of consciousness and um, my biography that I hadn't looked at before uh, and shake things up a bit. I mean, that's, that's essentially what this is. You know, there's... It's, In general, our personalities are fixed by the Mm. time we're in our early 20s. It's very rare that anyone's personality changes. It usually takes a trauma, and so it changes in a negative way. Um, But one of the striking things about psychedelics is that the researchers have found that even in adult minds, uh, the personality trait we call openness, which is tolerance for new points of view and openness to new experiences – actually increases uh after a psychedelic experience. And greater openness is what we all need and we need it more the older we get.
0: And I mean it's also something you talk about in a book that kind of not lose your ego but you kind of can look at yourself in a different way if you undergo psychedelic experiences. So, what, what does that mean? What did that mean for your ego? Actually, I mean, as a writer, you need a strong ego, don't you? I mean, otherwise,
1: yeah. But you know, as a human being, your ego can be too strong too. Uh, egos, egos are very useful tools for getting things done, for realizing our goals. Um, but they also can be a tyrant. Um, they can be very self-critical. They can lock us into the ways we've always done things. And so, one of the really striking things about a high-dose uh, psychedelic experience is that you actually experience the dissolving of your ego, the melting of the ego. And the surprise in that is that you, you a, a new perspective emerges, and um, you see things. You realize, oh, I don't need my ego. I can I can experience reality without it. It's it's a tool, but it doesn't. It's not all of me. I'm not identical to my ego. I have a. there's another ground on which to stand. And, and learning that was very empowering because I think most of us do identify with our egos, but the ego is just one sort of tool or one sort of character in the mental drama. And um, so I think a kind of lowering of the ego, egos build walls. Egos are very defensive. They defend us from new experience. They defend us from criticism. They defend us from um, Vulnerability. And um, so shrinking the ego, softening it, making it a little more permeable, all these things I found very useful. And that's definitely something psychedelics do, Um, even if you don't obliterate the ego, as as only happened to me once or twice during my journeys. um, You know, bringing down those walls uh, and opening up that what uh, Aldous Huxley called the reducing valve uh, so that more uh, sensory experience comes in, more information from your psyche comes in, are all ways to kind of renovate the mind as as we get older. You know, it, it's very hard to break habits as adults. I, I think we are creatures of habits, and they get more and more rigid as time goes on. And sure, you can have you can use conventional psychotherapy, and and one of the things that therapy does is give you a little distance or perspective on the ego and you know lead to self-understanding but it's a very slow and painstaking process Mm -hmm. whereas this is a real shock to the system that that you know i learned i I had these insights in the course of one afternoon instead of 10 years of therapy i do think that at least in the united states and i think in uh england Mm -hmm. that in the next few years psychedelic therapy will be available to people uh certainly people who are depressed um, that's the thing that they're studying but once it's available for anybody uh, doctors will be able to prescribe psychedelics or psychedelic therapy i should say because it's it's not just a matter of taking a pill it's very important to understand that this is a uh an experience that's guided from beginning to end by a experienced therapist Mm -hmm. and that You don't do this alone. Uh, People do do it alone, but the way I did it and the way I found most useful is working with somebody who prepares you very carefully, helps you articulate an intention, the reason why you're doing it, and then sits with you during the experience, which gives you a sense of safety, because you have to feel very safe to let go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and surrendering is a very important part of the experience, really just letting go, And you will only do that if you feel comfortable in in your environment and with the person uh, who's accompanying you. And then afterwards, and this is perhaps the most important stage, um, the guide or therapist helps you integrate the experience, uh, what happened, helps you to make sense of it and figure out what lessons you can take. So, for example, after I had my experience of ego dissolution, my guide, whose name was Mary, or that's the name I call her in the book, uh, I mm-hmm. told her what had happened, and I said I'd had this amazing experience where I, I, was, I was just like a, a thin coat of paint over the landscape. That was me. That was all that was left of me, and it felt good, and I said, but what difference does that make now that my ego is back in uniform and back on <laughs> patrol? You know, I was back to baseline, and she said, well, that's a perspective. Now that you've tasted it, you can cultivate it. You can nurture it. And mm-hmm. I asked her how, and she said through meditation, and oh, that was a very important tip because I found that after my psychedelic experience, I was a much more um, effective or happier meditator. I could get into that state of mind again uh, simply by meditating, and mm-hmm. not every time, but sometimes. And so that's been how I've I've kept alive the the sort of um, Insight and consciousness that I had during those psychedelic experiences, and without that integration session, I, I would have just kind of filed the experience away as, huh, weird drug experience. But the but the integration experience helps you uh, weave it into your life.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, um, so a lot of I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this or are already interested in it, but. Like you say, I think the most important thing is that they would say, "Well, I'm too scared." Kind of. So, what is your kind of tip to um, when you choose your integral therapist? I mean, what what is your what would you say? What do you have to pay attention to to build trust with that person?
1: Well, I think you. It's it's just like hiring uh, any kind of therapist. You have (laughs) to feel um, a connection to this person. You have to feel that they're intelligent that they understand you, that they're reliable. There's that kind of, you know, intuitive sense we have that this is the right person, that they know what they're doing. And um, so I think you have to trust your intuition. Um, you You want someone who really knows the territory, who has a lot of experience. I think that's very important. And, you know, the fear is a natural part of doing something unknown, doing something new. I, I I hasten to add that this is not for everybody. There are people who should not take psychedelics. People at risk for serious mental illness, for mm-hmm. example, uh, people who have schizophrenia in their family or personality disorders, you know, should not do it. And also, if you're on uh, antidepressants, SSRIs, uh, as many many people are these days, mm-hmm. um, it won't work very well. the 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 same brain receptors are involved, and they're, they're kind of already Mm -hmm. occupied by the SSRI Mm -hmm. drugs. So, and getting off of SSRIs is a a fraught thing that has to be done very carefully uh, because there's risk. So, but a good guide will ask you questions about what medications you're taking. Do you have any heart conditions, for example? Um, And they will, if they're not asking you about that, if they're not trying to determine your suitability, your health, um, then they're not doing a good job and you should... Walk walk out the door. Many many of the therapists do not have medical degrees. Mm-hmm. Um but it's very important that if they take your medical history or have you fill out a questionnaire that they're showing it to a doctor. Uh, and that's a good question to ask. Um uh, and the good ones will have a doctor that they work with to look over uh, you know, a list of medicines you take to make sure that they're not contraindicated. Um, they ideally they know the territory and that they've used the medicines they're giving you and they've given them to many people and um, and that I would ask them about their training. How do they learn how to do this? Um, did they learn uh, from another person? Did they learn from? Uh, did they go through a program? There are now some psychedelic therapists training programs in the United States. So uh, yeah, I would ask about the background and uh, but they're not necessarily doctors. In fact, they seldom are doctors.
0: I mean, at the moment, also, we see, like, there's already, like, an investment from the tech world into research into these psychedelic drugs. So, I mean, do do you think that there might be some emerge of the psychedelic guru in a way? You know, like there was the yoga guru in the 90s, early 2000s.
1: Well, you know, the, the psychedelic community, which I've come to know quite well, has studied the example of the 60s. And everything that went wrong and with people, you know, mm. co- proclaiming themselves psychedelic gurus. And I think everybody's very careful not to do that right now. And I, and I hope it continues to be the case that they, this is being led by scientists uh, and doctors and that the main focus is on mental health. It's not simply, you know, helping people um, Uh, with their midlife crises, although it may come to that eventually. So I I don't see any signs of that. I mean, I do see some signs of um, Mm over-exuberance, that people who work with these substances get very excited about them um, because they're seeing exciting results. They're seeing that people get better. And uh, now we're not done with the research, though. We need to test it on many more people. We have assured ourselves that psychedelics like psilocybin are safe, um and uh, now we need to try them on enough people to make sure that they work across the board we in small studies they have succeeded in helping people with depression and anxiety uh, associated with cancer diagnoses they've helped people with uh addiction uh smoking alcohol cocaine They've helped people with obsession, obsessive compulsive Mm diseases, all the, all the illnesses that have to do with excessively rigid minds. When you're, you know, if you think about anxiety, depression, addiction, these are all symptoms of a mind that's stuck and, Mm -hmm. and very rigid. And we all have these problems to some extent. We all have times of feeling depressed or anxious, and we're all addicted to something, uh, whether it's caffeine or, you know, our screens. And um, so what we're learning about the how it helps people with mental illnesses probably applies to the rest of us, what's called the betterment of well people. And I hope that at some point these medicines will be available legally to people who aren't necessarily sick, but nevertheless stand to benefit from having their minds shaken up a little bit.
0: I mean, there was this book by Ayelet Waldman. Um, yes. So, I mean, and she, I mean, as since you know the book, of course, she said that she basically got through her midlife crisis or her midlife worst moment. She, This is when she discovered microdosing. So it kind of makes sense to think about it in the future as a support system. It, I think it's called It's a Beautiful Day, How Microdosing Saved My um, Marriage... Uh, my life and um got me through mid- at least like midlife actually so and she discovers that literally in her worst midlife year yeah. so which is 45 i think
1: well i've read the book and it's a very interesting book and microdosing has a lot of promise but it's important to understand that it has not been tested the way that uh higher dose psychedelic um medicines have been tested Uh there's so for example there's no controlled study where Uh one group got the microdose and one group got a placebo so we can see what's really doing that and the Uh effects of microdosing might be uh, simply a placebo effect that people Uh think they're taking a psychedelic and um the mind is incredibly suggestible and as a result it you know it thinks it's had this very helpful medicine and changes the way it thinks um so So I I didn't discuss microdosing in much depth here because I didn't think that there was enough science yet to make any Mm -hmm. claims about it. Mm -hmm. Um, In Ayelet's case, she had very good results. And and there are many people who report good results um, in alleviating depression or making themselves more creative or simply just happier. Um, But whether that's uh, um, the result of the drug itself or the idea of the drug, you know, we just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, there are many people here in the Bay Area in the tech community who are microdosing and they're in their 20s. They're not doing it for a midlife crisis. They're doing it because they think it enhances their intelligence or gives them an edge at work. I mean, there's, people microdose for a whole lot of reasons. Midlife crisis is only one of them. But, I, you know, I, I just don't think, I don't think we know enough to say or make any recommendations at all. So I'm, I'm loath to make recommendations about microdosing. Um, if you want more information about it, there's a website operated by a psychologist named James Fadiman,
0: yeah, yeah, which
1: you can, you can find pretty easily online, and he's mm-hmm. collecting individuals' reports of microdosing, and mm-hmm. it's fascinating data, um, and it, it raises lots of interesting questions and applications, um, but it's not controlled drug trial research. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's the tool we have to understand whether something is real or not. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the placebo effect, but you can save a lot of money, and it's not actually doing anything. So, yeah, I think we need—it uh, doesn't have to necessarily be—you uh, know, it can just be scientists doing the kind of research scientists do and mm-hmm. testing something and— uh, controlling the the experiment by having a, a group that's not getting the chemical and doesn't and and that the researchers don't know who's getting what and the individuals don't know who's getting what, that's how you really get hard information. So yeah, that's the kind of thing I think we need. But I think the the approval of the of, of psilocybin and possibly LSD and MDMA, uh, which is ecstasy, uh, to treat. Um, conditions and possibly help people who are not sick, but merely mm-hmm. stuck in their ways. Yes. I think we're a lot closer to that happening. I think that that will happen within the next five years.
0: And, and do you feel that your brain is a different brain now after all this
1: research? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm the same person, but I okay. have I have some fresh perspectives. I feel I'm a little more flexible, a little less defensive, mm-hmm. a little more empathetic. Yeah, I think it softened me in various ways that I I find very helpful. And and as I say, I have a little more distance on my ego, and I know when he's up to his old tricks, and I can ignore him. Okay. I meditate more. I used to find meditating very frustrating, mm. and it was you know as they say like herding cats and keeping my you know quieting my <laughs> thoughts was very difficult. It's now easier because I uh-huh. kind of understand the. The mode of consciousness that I want to be in, because I, I've been there, you know, once you've once you've visited a place, you can find it again. And psychedelics helped me find that place. Not mm-hmm. something you need to do regularly. I mean, you do. I, I did it about seven times, I guess, for my book for research. Mm-hmm. Some people get all the benefit from one time. Uh, so it's not a regular thing. It's not weekly. It's not monthly. And in that sense, too, it's very different than microdosing. It's, it's a big event, and you know, you, it takes a long time to, to figure out what it all meant. I mean, you know, people have one trip in a year, and then they spend a year thinking about everything that happened. It's very rich and gives you a lot to work on, so you wouldn't want to do it very often.
0: And, and do you think it's going to come back to be an integral part of regular therapy? I mean, like, it used to be like that in the 50s, like you said. I don't,
1: you know, I think it'll be, look, we have very few tools to treat people who are suffering yeah. from depression and addiction, and it's amazing how, how poorly stocked the, uh, the psychiatric pharmacopoeia is, and, and, and the, the remedies they have really don't work very well and have lots of bad side effects. Mm-hmm. So I think if, if these drugs are approved, they will be used in a pretty widespread way. Uh, yes, I think I think many therapists, but not all of them. I don't I don't think they'll ever become, you know, uh, you know, universal. But I, I, I think it'll be a, a fairly routine, um, you know, if they work, they will be adopted very quickly. You know, I think ayahuasca is a very interesting medicine. I've had some experience with it. It's not so different than other psychedelics. I think, you know, it's mostly the rituals that surround it and the fact you do it in a group rather than individually. I think people, you know, ayahuasca tourism is, is a risky thing because there are some charlatans and fraudsters in South America who, you know, you can go to an airport and there are people with signs (laughs) saying ayahuasca and uh, people have been hurt. I mean, you know, women have been molested. There's a couple deaths that have happened. So you really have to know what you're doing and make sure you have a reputable shaman and, um, you know, a safe place. And so do some research. Don't don't just do it with anyone. But I know many people. I haven't done that. I haven't gone down to South America for that experience. But but many people have had excellent experiences, and um, it just keep your eyes open. It's it's uh, th- there's so many people doing it that, as always happens, there are crooks involved now.
0: Mm. And I mean, it feels like at the moment all these new kind of emerging practices like ayahuasca, psychedelics, and everything, they seem to. I mean, people really seem to embrace them again like um, probably like in the 60s in a different way maybe but i mean do, do you feel that has something to do with i mean what do you think what is the reason why this is kind of a lot of open ears if it comes to these new practices
1: yeah that's a good question i'm not sure exactly why now um except we do have a mental health crisis um mm. people are suffering in huge numbers i've been struck by how many requests i've gotten from readers for guides and referrals and things like that which i can't fulfill because it's yeah. too dangerous it's still illegal mm-hmm. but um the tools that we have to deal with mental distress are very poor i mean usually if you have any kind of problem a doctor puts you on a ssri antidepressant and people don't like taking them mm-hmm. uh they may help some people but for other people they um they dull reality you have to take it every day they're addictive and they have various side effects people don't like so people are looking for new ways to deal with their mental problems and um, and there is an openness the drug war is is gradually fading thank God Mm -hmm. so the um, you know it's less dangerous to pursue these alternative therapies and I think the research, you know, is which is getting a lot of attention. I mean for me, it was it was the research, the fact that scientists were getting such interesting results uh, so quickly from a single experience or two experiences. And the publicity that the research has gotten has made people think, "Hey, maybe there's something here.
0: we have this um, Google Alert with livestock, cannabis, and microdosing, and I feel like every day I get twenty more articles.
1: I know. About I know. Yeah. I think it's a measure of how you know how how many people are looking for change um, that they're not satisfied in their lives that they do feel stuck in some ways that they have habits they can't break and that there's you know there's kind of a desperation out there but there's also great hope. I mean that we have a tool here yeah. But, you know other cultures have been using for thousands of years to heal and that it may now we we may now know enough to use it to heal ourselves you know we started doing this research before the 60s -hmm. and it was very promising and then we dropped it because of the backlash against psychedelics and so you know this is a process that really began in the 50s uh, to understand how these medicines might help us with various problems and after this 30-year hiatus where very little research happened uh, we're we're opening it up again and it's very very exciting I'm 64 now, and I've okay. undergone, you know, as I said, about every 10 years or so, some sort of change. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I think it's really important. It's how we stay fresh and how we stay alive. Is if we have the luxury of being able to do it, to change our work in some ways or change my subject as a writer. I used to write about food before mm-hmm. I wrote about psychedelics. Um, I, I just find, you know, writing new chapters in your life is, is the most valuable thing you can do. It wakes you up. I mean it wakes up Mm -hmm. your senses. It it gives you new perspectives. The culture in California is very different than the culture in New York. Mm -hmm. And so people you know, a lot I don't know that I would have written a book on psychedelics had I not moved to California. Probably Um, I learned a lot from the community (laughs) that I'm now in. Um, there's a greater openness in California to trying new things. People are uh, spend a lot of time on self improvement uh, more than they do in New York. We spend more time outside. I think that has a big impact. We get more sunlight. Um, so these are all the subtle ways in which change can can help renovate
0: our lives. After forty is um, is a time when a lot of people wouldn't dare that anymore because they think they have to fulfill certain rules that now that they're forty and then, you know, they have another twenty years or thirty years, so
1: many yeah. things stuck us in place. And it can be our marriage, it can be our job. Yeah. And um but hopefully you have a partner you can grow with. I mean my wife was very nervous when I got interested in psychedelics because she <laughs> yeah. was afraid it would change me. And uh-huh, I would not be course. the same person she married. Um <laughs> in the end it did change me, but she decided it was in a good way. You know, I also I also would say that that psychedelics become more of a attraction or more of a possibility after your children are grown. It's, a, it's hard to imagine making time for psychedelics because it does take a long time. It takes a whole day mm. when you still have children around the house. And uh, so for us, it was when our son was grown and, and out of the house that I could really explore this in some ways. And that's why it's a little oh. later than in your mm-hmm. 40s, um, at least for me.
0: Most people turn towards psychedelics after 35 and kind of not before not really kind of like in a way that they really are looking for an answer through the help of psychedelics so it's rather something that people tend to do rather anyway after yeah like she said 35 like 40-ish then then
1: I think it depends on your situation. I think that, um, you know, people use them a lot in their 20s and then they get married and they settle down. and They raise kids and they stay away from them for a while. (laughs) It just doesn't fit into your life. And then later on, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, it becomes. uh, And that's also when people start feeling stuck um, and they're making decisions about the rest of their life. So uh, again, there's no. I don't think there's any any set rules for it. It's it's really just kind of where are you in your life? What do you want to change? What what are you dissatisfied with? And is this the right tool? There are other tools also, but is this the right tool? And and uh, it's very exciting. We have such a powerful tool that's that is uh, becoming available to us you have to be open you know you have to be it's a it's a it's a risky thing to do some you know mentally people feel so i think that um you have to be someone who is open to uh you know a certain kind of adventure um it's because it is a mental adventure and some people are very uncomfortable with that idea I was, you know, very afraid of what I'd learn. I mean, I don't, I'm not, yeah. you know, that introspective. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I was afraid that, you know, material would come up that'd be really disturbing. Um, and it makes you, you know, when, once you take the leap, you're, you know, you're opening doors that you haven't opened in a very long time. And so you have to be the kind of person, you know, who, even though you might feel reluctant, is willing to open those doors.
0: Well, thank you, Michael. It was great to have you on the show.
1: It's been a great pleasure talking to you.